Welcome to Behave Intelligently, an uncensored exploration of behavior in the workplace, life, and the larger world. I'm your host, Jay Johnson, and thank you for joining this week's edition where we're going to talk about risk. I'm joined by some of the behavioral all-stars from Coeus Creative Group. Say hello to Mark Garrison. Hello. And Madison Bennett. Hi. And of course, Stephanie Sim. Hello. So this week, we're going to dive into risk. And how I want to start this is, if you were to give yourself a rating on a 1 to 10 scale, what would you say is your risk aversion with one saying, I take no risks and 10 being, I will walk through a tightrope across a pool of glass while being on fire. So uh, one is zero, you know, virtually no risk and 10 being the high side. What would you say you fall on that scale? Three, no risks for me. So you're pretty risk averse then. You try to avoid risk. Okay. For me, on personal stuff, I would say I'm like a four or five. Um, not real risky, but okay. eventually do take that risk. When I'm dealing with other people's stuff, a lot more risky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So willing to venture out there if it's, you know family stuff or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah like if i'm if if i'm buying something for myself a high-priced item probably more cautious but if i'm buying something for someone else or helping them buy probably a little more risky um i don't right, i don't sense. take quite as long in the sort of decision making process gotcha i would say I'm going to go like five. I want to be like kind of neutral because I feel like it depends on the area of my life in which I'm taking risk. If it's something adventurous that I like walking a tightrope, then yeah, I'd say like probably like an eight because I would do it. But in regards to other things, um, I'm definitely less risky. All right. So instead of me giving my risk modifier, you've all known me long enough. Where do you think I fall on this scale? And if you're playing at home, feel free to send in something to podcast at Coeus Creative Group. If you uh, if you know me well enough, I'd love to hear your interpretation of my risk factors. Did you say that the top end of the scale was only 10? That's what I said. That's where I started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. Uh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go with 10. Going with the 10. Ladies, what are your thoughts? I'll go with a 9.5 for the, the like small percentage of the time where you have some restraint. Oh, I'm going 10. Full going 10. Full 10. All right. So, <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, and I, I look at it and I go, and, and maybe this is where we need to go with this conversation is how do we define risk? Because for me, and if I were to evaluate myself, I'd give myself a seven. I'll definitely step out there. I will, you know... I, I will take what other people would consider a risk, but I don't know that I necessarily feel like that's all that risky in my opinion. So like when I'm thinking even of something like COVID, uh, most of my friends would say that I'm very risk averse. Like I am an outdoors person. I will always wear my mask. I'm, you know, it's not something that I would engage in a risky behavior or quote risky behavior. But for me, 
you know, if it was, hey, jump on this Sea-Doo in a suit without a life vest on and let's see if we can get a good video out of this, I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do this. So um, risk, what is risk? How do we even define it? You know, I think that's a good point because, you know, when I said 10 for you, I know there's things that you calculate more so and are a little more cautious on. And then there's some things that pretty much we all cringe on. Um, <laughs> I think that's completely so, fair. I'm impulsive. I will take impulsive. And, and so maybe that's, a, you know, maybe that's part of what I'm considering in some of the risk taking is impulsive. I am 0% impulsive. I'm very, very calculating, uh, process, decision-making type person. So when I think about risk, it's all of those things that are in place. So for me, risk is, am I spending time trying to make the decision or do I just choose? Okay. And I guess maybe that's more impulsive behavior. So... Maybe it's sure. like it's risky in itself to make decisions without uh, extensive consideration. Is that kind of? Um, for me, the risk is not knowing the outcome. So mm. the decision making is running through every scenario that I can think of for what the outcome might be, then choosing the best path. So yours is a little bit more about managing the uncertainty of a situation or managing the uncertainty of a decision or an outcome or a behavior. Yeah. Okay. Madison, what about you? How do you define risk as a fellow fire? Um, I would say that I'm pretty similar to Mark's answer. You know, I think kind of about calculating the outcome, which is why I also agree that for me, risk kind of goes hand in hand with impulsiveness. And I'm also a very impulsive person. Maybe that's just the fire in me, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, that's something similar. It's something similar along the same lines as Mark. Okay. I would say I agree that risk has to do with, uh, with uncertainty and not knowing the outcome. Uh, my definition of risk is also dependent on like personal stakes, like my investment. So something is risky to me if the potential outcomes um, are like a really heightened emotion or a really terrible emotion. So like, I'm going to apply for this thing that I'm really excited about and the outcomes are gonna be like joy if I get it or like real disappointment and uh, like lack of confidence if I don't. And like the emotional stakes uh, are, if the emotional stakes are high, then that's a risk. If I choose to do something I feel pretty neutral about, I'll, I'll do whatever because my mood isn't on the line. I, this is me like leaning into my watery feelings. I was gonna say that's, that's very consistent with water, but I find it really interesting because yours is an emotional calculation. Whereas mine personally is much more like a quantifiable, you know, uh, I don't even know how to say, it. it's not an emotional outcome for me. It's like a system outcome or a, 
did I win, of course, you know, from a fire perspective, but um, so I find that really interesting. When you, when you're taking into that calculation, how accurate do you feel on like your anticipation of future emotions? Like if you were to look back and, and do an autopsy on some risky decision that you made, do you find yourself to be accurately predicting those future emotional states or are they heightened in your mind while you're making the decision and then they don't have that? Like wh where does that come from? That's really interesting. I think they're a little heightened in my mind when making the decision. Um, usually the, like the low ends, like the anticipated negative feelings don't meet my like projection of them. So like, uh, I submitted to a literary magazine uh, a couple years ago and I was like, oh, this is so scary because like they're reading my creative work and if they, and if I get rejected, it means they hate me and I'm terrible and I'm going to feel so bad. But if they like me, then it'll be awesome. And I got the a very nice rejection letter and I was like, actually, this negative outcome feels really good because they said, thank you. We we actually liked your stuff, submit again, just not this time. And so I was like, oh, like that was, that wasn't the worst outcome it could have been. It was still the one that I labeled as bad, but I don't feel terrible. So rejection and loss is somewhere in the calculation there. I think we can go back to that at some point. Yeah. So for, for me, when I'm looking at risk, it's, I, I don't know, there's got to be some kind of equation. I'm not necessarily a algebraic math person, but it's almost like the, the possibility of reward, the likelihood of success, and the, you know, consequences of loss. And it's, it's very consequential in nature. And that is all modified by, do I feel like I have the capacity to manage this or do I have the capacity to win or do I have the capacity that if I lose I can handle that loss or rebound or change gears or shift focus so but I think that even like in hearing the definitions there's a lot of different areas that you might look at risk like risk decision making for medical procedures that could be one entire area you could have risk for uh, investment like what's your you know, risk aversion to uh, playing the stock market or to getting involved in something else. You could have risk in business decisions. You could have risk in life decisions. I, I think that, and maybe there's a lens at which each of us have a different risk portfolio, I guess I would call it for each of those different areas. I would even say, you know, when you talk about your risk taking, uh, decision calculus, Jay, having been with you in a variety of states of decision-making or risk-taking, um, I also think you calculate using, is it going to make me money or how much is this going to cost me? Mm -hmm. And what is my audience? I think that that's probably a fair assessment. Like, because I think if, if you have an audience, sometimes you get riskier. Well, that's, that's most definitely true. I like to take risks on a stage. <laughs> so I, you know, but that's something that 
you know, you didn't really talk about, but that is, I, I think for a lot of us or a lot of people, people's uh, willingness to take a risk. If I said I'm at a five, if I have an audience, maybe that moves up. So what is it that maybe makes us more riskier individuals just by having an audience? Well, and that's, that's either a social pressure. It could be, it could be a, for, for me, I like to consider myself a performer, um, you know, and a performer needs an audience. And when the audience cheers their performer, the performer then continues to try to perform. So, and call that, you know, from being a speaker or stage presence or anything else. But I think that that probably contributes to that factor. I, if I'm just to psychoanalyze myself just a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, as an introvert, I don't usually care for the audience aspect. So that's not a huge factor that weighs on me. Um, but I know a lot of people that it does. So it's interesting when we talked about that scale, I, I looked at it from a perspective of just my own personal risk decision-making without that external factor in play. But I think some of our audience, some of the people listening might be thinking to themselves, well, yeah, when I have more people around, I might be more risky or I might do this or I might do that. And so are there other factors or things that modify our risk taking? I think that's a great question. And interestingly, as you say that though, it also begs the question of if there's an audience, does that make some people less risk, you know, risk willing or more risk averse? You know, if there's an audience, I don't want to screw up in front of an audience or I don't want to make a mistake or miscalculate in front of an audience. And I almost sure. wonder if that was kind of towards what Stephanie was saying in that in that previous part like the bigger the audience or the more important the audience the the more risky it seems like to submit to something yeah in general i think there are people that probably feel that way it might be more people on the introvert side who um if if you're in a social situation that you deem risky um, you will fall back in on your old habits and patterns that have consistently worked for you instead of trying something new. Um, and I also think a, a another factor that contributes to risk taking is like, do you have a support system that's encouraging you to take the risk? Are they saying like, yeah, we like we know you can do it. It's great. Believe in yourself. Go for it. Or do you have critics saying? yeah, you know, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. I wouldn't do it. That affects your decision making. Madison, would you say that an audience makes you less or more risky? Less. I, for being an extrovert, I literally hate public speaking. <laughs> I am the exact opposite of Jay. Um, you know, you could throw me into like a room of a bunch of people like, and I could make friends with half the room, but if you want me to like stand in front of a group of people and like give a speech, I would rather like run and hide. I'm just like, I freeze up. I don't know what it is. I just don't enjoy it. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I just, I'm a perfectionist. So like, I'm scared if I, I don't want to mess up in front of like a large group of people. That's like my worst nightmare. See, I'd rather talk to a large group of people than have to go to a social situation and make small talk with everybody. <laughs> That's that's a lot more risky for me, I think. What's the risk in it? Having to talk to people. 
<laughs> it's really what it comes down to. It's it the the risk for me is um, having something to talk about, something in common, something we can connect on. Um, acting like I'm interested in whatever they're having to say, trying to find something interesting for me to say that they'd be interested in. Where if I have to give a talk in front of a large audience, well, whatever I want to talk about, they're in the room. Right. And it's formal, so no one's pressured to like each other and the topic on a one-to-one -one basis, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, that could be. So let's go back to these risk modifiers that we were talking about. What are things that heighten your perception of risk? Like one thing for me is when I'm thinking about risk is whether or not uh, it's a voluntary choice or an involuntary choice, right? Like if it's something where uh, I'm looking at it and saying, I have gotten myself to this place to make a decision by my own choosing, or if that choosing has now been forced upon me. If I'm having to deal with a situation um, that maybe wasn't of my own making, I think that my risk calculations maybe change just a little bit there. Are there any modifiers or things other than the you know, audience that we've been talking about that maybe have an impact on the way that you calculate risk? You know, I think with... With me, like an example would be buying a car. I'll spend a lot of time narrowing down what my new car is gonna be. And I might have right off the bat, like two or three different cars that I really like, that's what I want. So then I start looking at the details, the costs and all those things. And I'll get it down to like D1, but I still don't necessarily pull the trigger right away. Um, and I think that's the uh, financial risk on that. You know, can I really afford this right now? Is this, you know, so maybe uh, financial safety or financial security is a question um, that would modify my risk. If I think the purchase of that is doable, but then I start thinking, okay, well, but what happens if I lose my job or my job changes or something like that more towards the negative side <clears throat> what is that impact on this purchase? You know, so I guess that's how I would look at an outside factor for me as a financial or a safety as a factor that will impact my level of risk. If I am flush with cash and, you know, money's no object, um, I think that goes away and I'd pull the trigger and buy the car right away. So in that framework, me just walking into a dealership and then walking out seven hours later with a car is probably not the way that you would handle that situation. Probably not. That doesn't necessarily make me cringe or anything. Um, that's one where I don't know that I'd be able to do that unless I knew what kind of car I wanted but I'm not one that's going to just walk into the dealership and be like, I have no idea what I want. What do you have in stock? Here's my budget. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll take that one. And you know, that's not, that's not really my style, but um, you may have walked in already knowing your financial risk or not. Jay is making like several shrugging uh, gestures that you can't see because this is a recording, <laughs> an audio recording. 
<laughs> I was trying to determine. I guess for me, like the decision comes quickly. Like, am I in the market for a new car? Yes, go to the dealership. And, and it's it's a it's a decision making. Like the risk at that point in time is it's time for a new car. Whatever the details are, you know, I don't know what the risk calculation is until I get in there and start negotiating and figure out what kind of price I'm at. I mean, I know approximately where I would be comfortable within a budget, but I guess for me in that situation too, it's one of those, I know I want a car. I know I want a, maybe a certain color. Everything else is negotiable. And, and I think that maybe that that's for me the the element that, that that reduces that risk is how can I negotiate what I want or when I see what I want. Like for me in a store, even a, even on a small purchase, it's like get in, get what I want, walk out. I am not, the, and you we've talked about this before in a past episode, you're a person that will spend a, a lot of time in a grocery store walking through, taking your time. Me, I'm like in, here's the 16 things I want. They're in my cart. I'm going to go out and I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not going to look at, uh, you know, oh, this brand versus this brand versus this brand versus, is it, you know, is it wheat bread that has, you know, flax seeds in it? Yes. Bam. Grab it. Put it into the cart. I don't care. Let's go. Yeah. Well, and I think that's accurate. Like you, you have a general idea of what you want, where when I'm going to say buy that car, I want a car and here's all the specifics that I want on said car. Nothing is negotiable. Oh, you don't have this car? I've walked out of a dealership and went to the, to another dealership that had that car with that color and all those features. You know, so it's very specific. Like I made my decision. Where do you fall on this purchasing question, ladies? I don't buy things. I guess I bought some earrings, some $15 earrings online the other week. <laughs> so even on something like that, because I mean, obviously I'm, I haven't bought a car in a couple of years at this point in time. So I'm kind of with you on that. But the question, you know, the, the question more so is like, you bought even $15 earrings. What was the risk process that you thought about? You know, what were the things? Or, or go bigger, choosing an apartment or a place to live. Yeah. You've all done that. Yeah, that's true. So that was actually a risk, I guess, because I toured the my current apartment that I'm in and immediately like like the that evening or the next morning, I uh I committed to it and was like, "Yeah, I want this. Let's let's do it." Which is a risk. Usually I would go and tour many places. Like it was the only place I toured and weigh all of the options. Um so that felt risky. I don't know. So there's an element of, of intuition, like, does this feel like it's the right choice? And, uh, and that's something that could be a factor if people really trust their gut feelings or how much they lean into them. Uh, another, I, another is how easily can I walk this risk back? Is there an exit plan, an exit strategy? And I, I feel comfortable taking risks if there is one. Well, and before we hear from Madison on it, that is a fantastic modifier for our audience to keep in mind is what is the permanency or what is even the perceived permanency of 
a risk decision that we have to make. If you are able to walk it back. And I think that that actually, you hit this and then like I had this epiphany moment. So maybe, I don't know, you may, you just might've made my growth for today, Stephanie, but I think that that is a big part of the reason why I would be perceived as more risky is because in most situations I look at and say, I can get out of this. Or I, I, if I got that apartment and I hated it, it's a year, I'll deal with it and I'm out. Or if it's, you know, God, I buy this car and it really is terrible. I'll go back to the dealership and trade it in or, or work something out with them. And I've always kind of felt like I've had more a locus of control maybe in the finality of decisions. But if it is a final, final decision, I think that that is, that's a great way to look at risk. I'm like the worst person to ask the shopping question apart uh, um, to uh, because I'm a really impulsive buyer. But I'm not going to say like for large purchases, like I've never purchased a car. Um, <laughs> I also don't have money, but um, I would say with small things, I will impulsively buy it. Like I impulsively bought AirPods in <laughs> quarantine. and But when it comes to more long-term investments, which is like the smarter decision, I have a harder time pulling the trigger. Um yeah, so like I'm trying to right now purchase an airbrush makeup machine. Um, people are probably confused because I do like 30 different things and I always talk about them on this podcast. I'm <laughs> also a freelance makeup artist. So um, when I'm doing weddings, it's like a big value, value add is like having airbrush makeup, offering it, but it's like an arm and a leg to purchase it or to go get a certification in it. Um, realistically, you can just teach yourself, but it looks good to have like the nice certificate. Um, so yeah, if it's more expensive, even though it is a value add and overall it's going to boost my business, I just have a hard time pulling the trigger because the price tag. <laughs> so yeah, for me, even on something like that, it's always, I, I guess I would look at it and go, can I walk this back? Or can I, you know, can I get myself out of this? Or if I purchase that airbrush, can you imagine me as an airbrush makeup artist? Like that would be hilarious. I'd feel really bad for anybody that actually hired me for that, but they'd have all kinds of like paint on their face. Uh, but, you know, in something of that nature, I think that's where Mark's assessment of me is probably accurate. Can I can I get my return on investment for this? And if I break even on it, fine. Then at that point in time, it is what it is. And if it's something that's really successful or really valuable, then at that point in time, it was a good investment or, you know, yeah, I can see that. Uh, my, ex my example was also, you know, tying into your suit on a jet ski scenario. <laughs> Not everybody's willing to do that, but you weighed the, well, if I ruin my suit, mm, yeah, that's worth the, the cost of, of damage. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So let's take this out of this context for just a minute and look at maybe like a health decision, because obviously we've been in a global pandemic. There's all kinds of news reports coming out about a vaccine that'll be possibly ready before the election, which every time I hear that, I cringe because it sounds like the politicization of health. So, and, and that's from both sides. That's a very neutral statement at this point in time. But 
like for me, when we were talking about how risky I can be in, in decision making, I have serious reservations about the idea of, and I'm not an, I'm not a person that doesn't, I believe in vaccines. I will take a vaccine. I have no issue with taking the vaccine for COVID, but I am seriously contemplating what risk calculations on Operation Warp Speed. Uh, warp Speed, there's a lot that can go wrong there. How do those types of decisions weigh on your mind? Because I would say that that is where my risk aversion definitely, definitely increases. I am definitely not an early adopter of pretty much anything, whether it's the newest phone coming out or whether it's something being injected into my body. Not going to be the first in line <laughs> by any means. Um, I usually buy my phone towards the end of year one of a, a phone being released because I figure at that point, any bugs, any, you know, items, wrong issues are addressed or being worked on. And I'm kind of feeling the same way when we talk about like a vaccine or anything like that. Like I'm not a big fan of even getting flu shots. Um, so vaccine is probably uh, a little bit further down the road for me. I'm not anti-vaccine. I mean, I'm, I'm up to date on all my shots and all those things. And, um, you know, we, my wife and I like to travel. And so depending on where we travel, sometimes we do have to get other uh, shots or take other medications. And that's the thing. I'm fine with that. Uh, just not an early adopter. And it's, it's weird because I'm a strong air personality. And so you would think I'm much more risky but when you look at my next option is earth, I like I have an internal struggle on everything. <laughs> I've seen that cognitive dissonance happen where like, ooh, this looks really cool, but let's wait a couple of weeks and see how that turns out before we implement that into our you know, website or into our IT or into our anything else. And that's where, like I said earlier, personally, I'm not big on risk taking, but I'm, I'm fine with encouraging and helping others take risks. So Jay, when you're ready for that vaccine shot, <laughs> I, I'm with you 100%, I'll drive you there. Sure, sure. We're gonna see whether it turns me into a zombie over the next couple of weeks before you, I gotcha. Yeah. I, I got some advice from a pharmacist that said, um, the people who are at risk the most for COVID might be the people who would benefit the most from being an early adopter and the, rest of the people who are less at risk should probably wait just to, until it's kind of perfected and tested more. Yeah. So like elderly populations that have a higher mortality rate, you know, they it's almost like a, uh, or healthcare workers that have a higher exposure rate or something like that. So in, in both of those scenarios, it's almost one of those, well, you're already living in a high level of risk. This is only potentially reducing that level of risk. That's sort of the impression I got from the conversation. So that's that factors into the calculation we've been talking about. Yeah, but so many risks are, even outside of the vaccine, so many risks are being um, calculated during this, I guess, sixth or seventh month into the pandemic. Uh, the risk of are we going back to school or are we learning virtually? I think that goes for everything right now. 
I mean, the whole state of the world is being talked about and debated on whether people are going back to work, when they're going back to work. I have friends who aren't going back until like well into next year, like January 2021. Kids going back to school, um, opening gyms, how many people are you learning in class, just everything in general, um, especially at least for us here in Michigan, because we finally just got the go ahead for gyms to open back up, but we're not like fully open. I wouldn't say the state's fully open yet. So we want to hear from you, the audience. Tell us what your risk calculators are. Is there something that you would uh, look at in terms of risk that maybe we haven't talked about today? You can email us at podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com and, and give us your feedback and thoughts on what kind of risk calculator are you? So in, in looking at this, we all have different ways in which we sort of maybe structure our decision, structure our risk taking, and so on. You know, the way that I look at my risk calculations is very different than the way that Mark does. Mark would look at me as risky. I would look at Mark as cautious. Um, I think, though, that there is still that element of from where you're at, you're still making some form of calculations in the risk, whether it's uh, permanency, whether it's time, whether it's financial or anything else. So let's maybe talk about some things that would help our audience to evaluate risk or what would your recommendations be to either increase your uh, risk willingness if you're maybe on one side or too far on one side or maybe reduce your risk aversion if you're on the opposite side. I think knowing what your goal is and if your goal is say buying that new car just pull the trigger. Um, stop for me. And that, and that's sort of what I end up having to do an internal pep talk uh, is stop trying to decide, stop weighing all the factors you've looked at it all. You've, you've figured it out. Just take that risk and, and, and pull the trigger, jump, do it, whatever it is. Um, because I can get um, decision paralysis I just keep trying to decide, keep weighing in. Oh, let me check this. Let me see what this website says. You've looked at it all. Now just do it. And I think one of the ways to do that is maybe setting a timeline for, I will make this decision by this date. That's something that I've actually worked with organizations before on, like in doing some of the consulting and decision trees or how are we making these is, here's a date, this is your deadline. Drop deadline, 12 p.m. noon on Thursday. You have to have a decision written and documented right then and there. So you have up until that time in order to do any calculations that you want, any thought processes that you want, but this is your drop deadline. And getting them to uh, agree to that and buy into that date, that's really helped, I think. I, I've seen organizations take large decisions um, where they're never going to have 100% knowledge of the future, or they're never going to have more than 75% of the possible data that, uh, you know, is available on that subject. So at some point in time, it's, it, it's drawing that line, whether that's a time or whether, you know, you set other litmus markers that say, at this point in time, we will make this decision come hell or high water, you know? Right. Or at this point of information. Yeah, like exactly. As soon as we have enough, um, you know, setting a mark of 
the amount of information you need before you make that decision. So maybe it's, I'm looking at three or four different review sites, or I'm looking at three or four different rating sites versus eight, 10, 20, 30, um, to see what, what the, the rankings are. And I think the underlying message there is don't let over risk aversion create decision paralysis or innovation paralysis ultimately. And I think that's where, you know, you and I have worked together for a very long time and I drag you down one time side of the continuum and you drag me down the other side, but that's, uh, you know, the synergy of collaborations there. Yeah, we have a good balance together. Mads, what would you say in terms of how would you help our audience maybe calculate or, or think about risk or what actions to take, what behaviors? I would say for me, a lot of my risk aversion has to do with control. Like I don't like surprises and I like, I'm a control freak. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on this podcast before. So (laughs) if I don't have control over the outcome or I don't know what's going to happen, I'm, you know, my risk aversion is much higher. So um, for me, it's trying to let go of some of that control and rolling with the punches a little bit more. So like, you know, maybe I'm hosting an outdoor event or something, you know, I would, I would never host something because I, you know, you know, my fear of public speaking, but, (laughs) you know, just kind of in perspective, like I can't control the weather, but you know, that's kind of goes with the risk aversion if I'm going to do something outdoors, you know, so on and so forth. So just trying to let go of some of that control and, um, slowly, letting in surprises because, you know, you can't, again, control everything in any kind of risky situation. So try to roll with the punches more. What I'm hearing from you is, is very much in line with even like behavioral intelligence, right? Like you can't control the entire outside world. So then at that point in time, what you're doing is focusing that control on managing your response to it or, managing your internal, you know, having that internal locus of control over yourself rather than necessarily everything in the environment or every potential risk in the environment. And I also think it's having that plan B that Madison kind of alluded to is if you can't control the outcome of the outdoor weather, having that alternative option available. Yeah. Plan B. Plan B is great. Um, For me, I'm a big believer in pros and cons lists. So use them when you need to write them down and like externalize your, your weighing process uh, is one. And then also try to recognize when your self doubt is really becoming a barrier for you and at least identify it like, Oh, this, this is really affecting my decision-making and, and maybe you can walk back that voice that is preventing you from putting yourself out there. That that's one thing that makes risk taking hard for me personally. And I think uh, our listeners, some of them might be able to relate to that. Yeah. I really like that, particularly the pro and con list. And I was actually in, in one of the, in one of the people that I was coaching recently, they did this except what they did was a con list. They, they would like forget to, to do the pro side of things. So I started having them like, all right, write down every single con that you can imagine, every single thing that you can think of. And they would just furiously be writing. And then, 
you know, coaching is to push them just a little bit, be like, now you have to come up with a pro for every single number of con that you have. And they were like, I would have never put as many cons if I knew I had to do that. But like forcing them to think through potential positives. Uh, so when you're doing that pro con list, it is really good to kind of push yourself to go and, and what's one more and what's one more and what's one more. Um, I, I find that to be a lot of fun when I'm actually kind of mentally doing that list myself. I also think uh, another good example is having that, giving yourself time or that exit plan, you know, um, to take away the, the, maybe the level or the severity of the risk. So if you're looking at starting a new job and you're just not really sure if you're going to love it, say, well, can I, can I put up with it for one year or can I put up with it for six months and make that kind of commitment up front and say, after that point in time, if I don't love it, or if I don't like it, or if I don't like the company or whatever, then I can start deciding, you know, what I want to do different. But I'm at least putting in that much time to say, I'm going to give it the good old try and, and see. Um, and I suppose that could probably apply to relationships as well. But um taking that's an interesting tangent we could probably go down that road for a little while probably <laughs> but i think that would lower some of the risk for some people if, if they just made that that short-term commitment so it's not like oh i'm committing to working here for the next 30 40 years of my life i don't know if i want that where i'm going to commit here for the next six months or 12 months and and reevaluate shortening the permanency yeah. of it and that's really actually where i was going to go with my recommendation and and how I would look at this is if you find yourself being too risk averse, for me, it's really one of those things of, of looking at it and saying, if I have a decision that I have to make and it's a tough decision or it's something where I'm weighing the calculations of risk or anything else, it is one of those things where I go, what is the absolute worst case scenario that's going to come of this? And if it's something that I can say, I can get past that, or I have the skills to get past that, or I have the team to get past that, or I have the resources to get past that. It makes that feeling of threat a lot less. So, and, and oftentimes when we're thinking about decisions or these different risks that we're taking, we often apply some form of life or death logic to it. And if you walk yourself back from that just a little bit and be like, all right, I'm buying a house. I, that's a huge decision, a huge life decision. I can sell the house. I can lose the house. Yeah, all those are very unpleasant. Uh, those are challenges, but it's not the end of the world if I have to walk back on that decision. So even, even kind of talking yourself through and really asking the question, is this a life and death decision, helps me, I think, to, to take a step out or take that, that leap. And then the other thing is, is I've, you know, I've made it now, uh, let's see, 38 years. I'm pretty confident in my ability to keep going. So, you know, it's one of those where I go, am I able to handle this? If this goes really the wrong way, what's gonna be heard? Is my ego gonna be heard? Is my pocketbook gonna be heard? Is it something that I can overcome? And I'm still here, so I'm pretty resilient. Yes, 
let's take a shot at this because the reward might be good. So it's really that balancing of, uh, that really that balancing of confidence in your ability to manage it and remembering that not every decision is actually a life and death decision. That would be my, um, you know, my, my helpful tips to get you to take more risks. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that we can talk about is what happens if you make that risk-based decision and it goes the wrong way. And our next podcast is going to address just that topic. So we're going to get into crisis and, oh God, I made the wrong choice, or even sometimes a crisis that wasn't of your choosing. But we're going to really kind of focus on that. But for today, I want to say thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Behave Intelligently. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Let us know what you think about this episode and email us your thoughts at podcast at coescreativegroup.com. If you want to learn more about Coeus Creative Group and visit our website or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in next time when we talk more about behaving intelligently. The Behave Intelligently podcast is produced on Buzzsprout. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, check out our show notes for a link to get you to the platform that you need.